Welcome to Sovereign Self, weaving spiritual awakening with the fabric of everyday life. Your host is Zofia Renea Morales. We'll discuss and show you how you can achieve the highest potential in your life through divine wisdom and really live. Now, here is your host, Zofia Renea Morales. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sovereign Self. This is your host, Sofia Renea Morales. And today I am here with my friend and guest, Dave Mason. He is a self-proclaimed personal growth junkie and novelist. And unlike most authors who prefer to write what they know, Dave prefers to write on subjects where he personally most wishes to grow. He finds that there is no better way to master a subject than to research and write a novel on it. And his most recent book is called The Cash Machine, A Tale of Passion, Persistence, and Financial Independence, where he teaches readers hundreds of financial lessons, all taught through a love story. His books include The Size of Your Dreams, a novel which teaches readers how to set and accomplish the goals in their life, as well as two books in the biblical fiction series, The Age of Prophecy. Thank you, Dave. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. So great to be here, Sophia. So tell me a little bit about your backstory. Um, I know many of the pe- listeners out there are like, ooh, I want to write, I want to be a writer, novelist. It sounds dramatic and like we should put you up on a pedestal. So tell me a little bit about your journey and how you put your pants on one leg at a time. <laughs> so it took me a long time to become a novelist. It was actually something I thought of early on and then really dropped when I found I had nothing to write about. I wound up going to law school and I became an attorney for the Natural Resources Defense Council doing environmental litigation. And at a certain point, I looked around and I looked at all of the people I worked with and I I loved the work we were doing. I felt we were having a huge impact in the world. But I kind of said, you know what? Do I want to grow up to become my coworkers? Mm. And I saw this group of people who were working very hard in this passion place. But I said, you know, I was a single guy at the time. I'm like, no, I really want to be able to have a family and spend time with them and be able to pursue other interests and grow in my life and not spend, you know, my main focus being on this area of work. Mm-hmm. And I wound up leaving the law and leaving the United States and moving to Jerusalem. Oh, wow. Where I came here and got married and actually became a rabbi. And to support myself, I started a business. Mm -hmm. So I started a business in internet retail. This is way back 16, 17 years ago. So it was not so common back then. Yeah, websites were a big thing and there was like zero competition almost. (laughs) It really felt that way. Yeah, I'd speak to businesses. I'd say, I'd want to start carrying your products online. They're like, ooh, how do you do that? And it it was a novelty at the time. And I started that business and I really set it up to be a very passive income source. I was working, I don't know, about an hour a day and spending the rest of my time on family and other studies and other pursuits. And I was doing really, really well until I started making more money than I needed. Oh, and then Which what is, happened? So it's kind of an uncommon problem, right? Um, people really, really wish for these types of problems. But it was so funny for me, having been in a place of, you know, I was the nonprofit guy. I was the guy who, you know, didn't make a lot of money. I was the guy who proved to myself early on that I could live with very little. And I never really got comfortable with money. Mm. And so when I started making far more than I needed, looking back, I, I know that I just got very uncomfortable with it. And I started thinking, well, what do I do now? And, and and how did this discomfort manifest in your life? Because typically it will show up in three-dimensional ways. So the way it really manifested was, you know, I wanted to use the money to do good. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of people around me here in Israel, other Americans like myself who moved over here, but who didn't necessarily speak the language or didn't have so many skills to make really thrive in the Israeli environment. I'm like, well, you know, I could be creating jobs. And rather than thinking, what is a position that I really need to fill to help me grow my business? I was hiring so many people that I didn't actually need ah, and using my excess money for that. to employ them, not because you needed them in the business. 
Exactly. Like I wanted to be giving jobs to people and I had these dreams. Wow, if the business with two people is making this much money, then if it's got four people, it'll probably make twice as much. You know, six people, it'll make three times as much. But somehow, that, the more people I brought on- work, yeah. <laughs> the math didn't work. The more people I brought on, my expenses went through the roof. My productivity went down, not up. Suddenly, I went from working hardly at all, like an hour a day, to suddenly I had to manage this whole team- and suddenly I went from making a ton of money to actually losing money and not knowing what to do. Mm. That, that uh, can be really, really crushing. Yes, it was really crushing. And it was a really difficult time. And there's something I heard about living here in Jerusalem. So I'm a short walk about a half hour away from the Western Wall. Mm. And there's, a, there's an idea that I've heard that said, if you go to the Western Wall and pray for something 40 days in a row, you'll get an answer. There you go. So here I was, I was stuck. I was losing a ton of money. I was in a bad financial position after having this business that was very successful. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I'm going to go to the Western Wall every day for 40 days and pray about this. And unfortunately, I didn't read the fine print on that whole 40-day promise thing. Because, <laughs> well, you know, people had told me you get an answer. What I didn't realize was it's not necessarily the answer you're looking for. You're looking for. for. <laughs> yes, that's always the detail with the divine. You will so, get a solution. You, your miracle will arrive. It probably won't look at all like you think it should. <laughs> exactly. And about halfway through this 40 days, I had like this moment of clarity and I felt I'd gotten an answer. But, you know, the answer I'd wanted was, ah, the business is going to do so much better. Right? It's going to have a blessing. And suddenly you'll be able to continue running your business in stupid ways, but it will work but out. But it'll work out miraculously. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Because the, the revenue will quadruple and therefore I can keep this bloated staff running. Um, the answer I got instead was, what are you praying to me for? You know what you need to do, go and do it. And this is the yes. same answer that God gives to Moses. Actually, we just read it in this last week's Torah portion. We read a segment of the Torah each week in Judaism. And it was just last week where the people are at the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming after them and like these 600 chariots. And the people are like, you're going to brought us out of Egypt. To, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to die here? To die here, here. yeah, in the middle exactly. of no freaking nowhere, right? <laughs> and... And God at a certain point says to Moses, what are you praying to me for? Just tell the people to go forward and raise your hands and split the sea. And it's kind of like, you know what? There's a time for prayer and there's a time for action. And Get off your butt and take the actions you've been dreading to take, but that you know you've needed all this time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, there's a joke uh, that I heard in my childhood that always stuck with me. And there was this guy, he was in terrible financial straits, terrible and and he needed a miracle, and he was praying to God, please let me win the lottery. God, I need to win the lottery. Let this week be the week that I win the lottery, and it will resolve all my problems. And God, please, please, I don't know why I didn't win this week, but let it be this week. And he keeps praying and keeps praying, and finally God gets frustrated and says, look, buy a ticket. Exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, it's important to not just pray, but to also be in some kind of motion that will allow the answers to arrive. Exactly. Yeah. So that began a very difficult journey of really stripping down my entire business. And by this point, we'd taken on a lot of debt. And it's something that wound up eventually resulting in wound up losing, losing the house we, we'd lived in and, and mm -hmm. fixed up. And we had a lot of very poor financial choices early on. And I think it came from this place of a discomfort with money. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I think you know, it's not an uncommon place that people end up. Because no, I, in my own upbringing and background, money wasn't something that was discussed. My, my parents, you know, would maybe have this discussion late at night. Or, or, and it was usually more like an argument. But it wasn't something that was discussed in front of the kids or at the table. And it was not was just not talked about. In fact, the exact opposite. You know, I remember you know, my parents mentioning something to comment about somebody about being the best person's very well off. And 
you know, I wanted to ask them, oh, well, how much do they have? What are the details? You go up to this person, ask them about their financial ability. Like they were the things you kind of talked about. And, you know, I was curious to ask people about their financial situations. And I was told, no, 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 no. Very inappropriate. We do not talk about money that way. It's a very private matter. You don't talk about it, which is a very funny thing. I think actually money and I'd also say sexuality are those two things that we're kind of told don't talk about. But that's the message we get as kids. And then when we, we grow up, we're in a different period of our lives when suddenly, you know, you get married and suddenly money and sexuality are two things that you should be talking about. Mm-hmm. But we've never learned the vocabulary. We've never gotten used to it. It's not like some kind of miracle happened that we became comfortable talking about the subject. Exactly. Been, and we don't know what to do with it, right? Exactly. We've been told for 20 years, 30 years, don't talk about these things. Don't talk about these things. Suddenly you were in a period of your life when you should be talking about them, when you should be seeking mentors and seeking help and learning everything you can. But you still have that whole childish message that you've gotten. Don't discuss this. And it's kind of dirty and it's kind of shameful. And yeah, you just don't. You you just don't. You you just kind of are supposed to magically know and, and find your way through this. Exactly. And this, this became a real struggle in, in my marriage as well. Because, you know, I think had we talked about money together, I think we would have very quickly gotten on the same page. Mm-hmm. But because we weren't comfortable discussing the subject, and we didn't really even have the vocabulary to discuss it, we each kind of made decisions based on what we thought the other would want. And we want all of our really horrible money decisions came from very poor communication, poor research, not really thinking things out, acting in what I'd say in retrospect were incredibly immature ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that's what tends to happen when you, you stifle your growth in an area like that. And we've done that as, as a society. We've stifled everybody at like that six-year-old age where it's like, Shh, no, mm-mm. You, you don't need to know or understand anything about that. Never, ever talk about that. Don't bring it up at the table. And so, of course, of course, we're making immature decisions because we were never allowed to mature in that area. Exactly. And so, we definitely felt a lot of stress in that area and a lot of difficulty over, over years because we just didn't, didn't know how to connect in this area. So how did you find your way through this? Tell me a little bit about how you, you got your way out of this situation where you've, your, your business is bloated and going down and you've lost the house. So that was really a, a period of, um, of a few years of absolutely downsizing, cutting everything down, making the business much more, much thinner. As you pointed out back then when I started, it was very easy to make money in the internet. You know, as I was also cutting things back, suddenly I was in a more competitive environment. It was harder and I wound up getting sucked into it even more. Uh, With the house was actually a very interesting story because at a certain point we realized we needed to sell it. Mm, But one of our decisions, it's a tough decision. And one of the reasons we needed to sell it was our, our other really bad financial choice. One was with the business. The other was with the house Mm. that we had put far too much money into fixing it up went way, way over budget. Yeah, and again, over improved it, yes. <laughs> it, had a really difficult um, process. We had a certain budget and we were kind of ignored on the budgets we were given. And again, poor communication and me was doing, allowing things that I didn't want to allow because I thought, okay, well, this is what I, as a husband I should be doing and I want my wife to have a nice house. And like me making poor decisions, bad communication, we really got sunk in with the house. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I started learning this, this technique, which uh, I started writing a note card. Mm-hmm. And the note card said that I intended to sell my house at 43 Beersheba Street for a certain amount of money, and I was going to do it by, what was it, July 28th, 2015. Okay. And... I read this note card three times a day at least. I went over this and over this and over this. And below that, and I said, to do this, I'm going to do the following. And I'd listed off all the steps. Each time I'd read it, I'd list off all the steps I was going to take. And if 
I tried one step and it didn't work. I'd cross that out and I'd write in another and I kept improving this card and going over it and over it and over it. And, you know, the problem was we over-improved the house like you pointed out. So the house was worth what we were asking, but it was so much higher than everything else in the neighborhood that we needed to find really the right buyer who wanted exactly what that was. Yeah. And so I worked at it and I worked at it and I kept reading this note card over and reading this note card over. And when we sold the house on exactly that day for exactly that amount of money, I'd realized that we'd really tapped into something very powerful. Mm-hmm. In fact, the book that my wife and I wrote together before The Cash Machine, we wrote both books together. The book, The Size of Your Dreams, was, is also a novel, but it, it teaches that t- technique and others with, that I use with the note card. Yeah. That it's actually set in a high school classroom with this math teacher who wants to teach his students how to be able to manifest things in their lives. And, you know, this selling the house on exactly that date for exactly that amount of money showed me that, wow, this was a very powerful tool and I needed to be out there and teaching this. And my wife and I turned this into a novel. That was the first novel we wrote together and teaching all these self-improvement lessons. But we still didn't have money down. Yes. I'm going to pause you right here because I know there is a lot more coming on the money front and we are in money and manifestation month. Uh, We are fixing to go off to a break here. So what I would like to invite all of the listeners to do is to grab yourself a pen and paper, grab yourself a little slip of paper and think of whatever springs to your mind that you are hoping to bring into your life. Just note that down while we're off on the break and stay tuned right here. We'll be back with more on how to make that happen in a moment. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Hey, beautiful soul. Sophia Renea Morales here. I've been doing Sovereign Self for over a year now, and I would like to hear from you. Tell me what you want to hear in coming shows. Go to TellZofia, that's T-E-L-L-Z-O-F-I-A.com. Drop me a quick note and let me know. How has this show supported you? Where should we go next? Or are you perfectly content with where we're going at the moment? That's TellZofia.com. Your opinion is critical in informing where I take the show next. Thank you so much and live soul first. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. listening to Sovereign Self with Sophia Renea Morales. We'd love to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or if you'd prefer, send an email to asksophia at transformationspace.co. Now, back to Sovereign Self. Thank you for hanging in with us through the break. This is Sophia Renea Morales, and I'm here talking to Dave Mason about money and manifestation. So before the break, you were telling us that you guys had, you and your wife had written a book on bringing things into your life, on manifesting things in your life. Uh, Why did you then specifically shift your focus in the next book to the story around money? So I think when we wrote the first book, we were very much in this impassioned personal growth place. And somehow, money didn't seem like an aspect of personal growth. In fact, all the time I mentioned to people, I came out with a money book and they're so used to my other things. I'm like, money? You're going to money? Why are you going down to money? 
as if it's like money, yes. <laughs> exactly. As if it's like some some dirty subject, as if we don't want to talk about that. As if money is not really an aspect of personal growth. But as we finish the 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 size of your dreams and the experience of writing it together was just so wonderful and we really we learned so much and we were just so happy with that book and the feedback was so strong started thinking about, well, what is the area we really need to grow in most? And it really hit me that, you know what? It was time to start a money book. Mm. And a money book that was not going to be just a do this, don't do that type book, but a real personal growth money book. I love that. And why did you choose to make it a love story? Because I know you made it a love story. So truthfully, I didn't choose it. Uh, truthfully, <laughs> All the best ideas choose you. <laughs> exactly. Truthfully, I chose a buddy book. Uh-huh. The, the two main characters were this guy, Dylan, and his best friend, Kyle, who wind up on a trip to Mexico on a, during, during winter break their freshman year of college, meeting some Mexican fishermen who gives them some crazy ideas about money. And Kyle decides that he's, he's some kook and he's going back to finish his degree and going to law school and following the path he's on. And Dylan decides to listen. Dylan decides to drop out and actually learn about this and learn about money and start putting the money lessons to, into play rather than just getting the degrees and hoping to get a high paying job like Kyle had, like the path Dylan had been on. Mm-hmm. And it was a buddy book dealing with these two guys. But a funny thing happened. Dylan's girlfriend, Amber, wind up becoming such a compelling character that she soon bumped out Kyle for the number two place in the story. <laughs> and really in fact, keep the woman out. <laughs> oh, and then, and then she wasn't done because after she bumped out Kyle and decided this is about, this is a story about her and Dylan, she decided, you know what? This is really a story about me. And Amber became the main character. This became a first person narrative from Amber's side. And I realized that you know, after a while of writing Dylan and Amber that she had to be the main character because Dylan was just the kind of guy who he learned something, it made sense to him, he did it. He wasn't so affected by the emotions of something. He, mm. was, he was able to push his emotions down in order to make the difficult choices he had to make. Yeah. But Amber was so emotional about all of these decisions and suddenly she was dating a guy who wouldn't go out to eat, who didn't drive a car and who had a completely different expectation of what his life would look like. And she was really struggling with it and struggling with all these choices. And that struggle just made for such a more interesting character and a more interesting journey that Amber became the main, the main character. And it was a real struggle for her because unlike Dylan who had come to something logically, Amber had been on another class. She'd been through college. She'd been through grad school. She had a good job. And she met a good guy who had a very different idea about money than she did. And she was debating like, well, he's kind of a package deal. Yeah. You, know, yeah, do, you're, you're not, I, you can't take him without the concepts that come with it. Exactly. Him. So, you know, she looks at what Dylan had done. She labels it a, she understands that he'd come to build what he, she calls a cash machine. Now, what, what is a cash machine? A cash machine is basically all of your portfolio of things that generate passive income. Mm-hmm. Dylan's philosophy and the philosophy, I, I, one of the philosophies I'm teaching in the, in the book is this idea of financial independence, yes. which means it's a, it's a term that I didn't know until a couple of years ago. You know, I always thought people who were financially independent were super rich who had enough money to do whatever they needed. And I came to learn that, no, it's actually a term of art, financial independence. Mm -hmm. It means that you're financially independent when your passive income exceeds your cost of living. So if you've got money in the stock market and it's growing really fast, and it might even be growing faster than what you need to live on, that doesn't make you financially independent because it's not income, it's growth. Your money is going up, but it's not money that you can actually have access to and spend. Whereas say if you have a, if you buy a, an apartment that you rent out and the apartment might be appreciating, might be going up in value. But at the same time, each month there's money coming in. Mm-hmm. And you know, some of that goes to pay the mortgage and some goes to pay the, the taxes and insurance and other expenses. And whatever's left over, that is what we call passive income. So yeah. when that passive income 
exceeds all the money you need to live on, well, now you're financially free. Now, if you suddenly got sick and couldn't go to work or said, you know what? I hate my job. I want to write a book and I know it might take me five years to do it. I'd rather do that. Or I want to go just leave and travel around the world. You can do these things because all of your living expenses are being covered by sources that don't require you to show up and work. Yeah, exactly. So, so, Dylan, so Dylan has this cash machine. Dylan is working on becoming financially independent. That is his path. And Amber's saying, you know what? I need to figure out before I become too emotionally involved if I can go down this path with you or not. Mm-hmm. Because I know that sooner or later, like if we date for too long, I'm going to become so emotionally involved that I will follow you even if it's stupid and even if I don't want to do it and I'll be a disaster. Yeah, so and, before and I'll we get be resentful and all of that kind of thing too. Yeah, exactly. So before I get too hooked on you, I want you to teach me how to build a cash machine of my own. Mm. So that I want you to teach me this philosophy of yours. I want you to teach me these tactics. I want you to take me through this so I can see, do I want to make this shift in lifestyle? And if I can kind of stomach that, okay, then I'm willing to kind of open my heart up to you emotionally or do I not? Yeah. And of course, it, it's hard to close your heart to this guy at the same time. So Amber has this struggle back and forth as they continue going forward as she's, you know, her heart's opening more to this idea, but struggling with some of the financial things. So I know many authors bring a great deal of themselves into their work. And I know you and your wife had a fair number of money struggles uh, prior to commencing this project. So how did that inform what happened here? So I would say that that is the reason this book became a love story. Even though I hadn't thought about that when I first started the, the initial draft, ultimately it was so embedded you know, money and relationships are just so embedded in our minds. And it's an area that I don't think we talk about enough. You know, money is one of the leading causes of divorce. And for us, it was certainly one of our biggest struggles in our marriage. And normally, I think when people think about money being a top cause of divorce, they think about, well, probably not enough money. Mm-hmm. But to me, I've come to realize that it was not the issue of not having enough money that led to our struggles. If anything, it was early years, we were doing great with money. We just didn't know what to do with it. We weren't on the same page. We didn't have communication around it. Mm-hmm. You know, had we had a book like The Cash Machine to learn together and to go over it together and been exposed to ideas like financial independence and we could have debated, well, what do we want to do with our money? Do we want to pursue financial independence? Do we not want to pursue financial independence? How nice of a lifestyle do we want to be, be living? Had we talked about these things and had the vocabulary in common, we would have very, very quickly gotten on one path. Because really, my wife's natural inclinations towards money and mine are, we really mesh well. It's not like I'm a guy who didn't want to spend and she's someone who wanted a big lifestyle. Like We really mesh well. We just lacked communication, so we did a lot of stupid things. Making assumptions about what the other person would want or that sort of thing? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so... That's why, why this book really became a relationship book about money. You know, so many of the money books out there, and virtually all of them, are nonfiction books. Yeah, and do, nonfiction do this, books. Manage your money this way. Follow these six principles or whatever. Yeah. Exactly, and emotion plays no part in that. Yeah, it's but emotion is such a huge component of money as well. And one thing I've noticed with money. It's very similar to alcohol in that it will amplify whatever your natural tendencies are. So if you have too many drinks and you're a grouchy person, it will come out, right? And it's the same Absolutely. thing with money. If, if there's a bunch of money that gets dumped on you and you're a natural dick, you're going to be a bigger dick. <laughs> Whereas if you're an amazing, generous, kind-hearted person, you spread that kind-heartedness farther because you've got more of it. Exactly. We like to refer to money as lubricant. lubricant. It just helps things yes. move, move easier. Mm-hmm. And so all, all these nonfiction books, like they don't deal with the emotional component of money and they don't, I'll never deal with the relationship components of money and how huge a factor it is in our relationships. Well, and a nonfiction and, book. And, and that is completely what will... Uh, cause you to succeed or fail in the financial arena is your emotions and your relationships around money. Exactly. And, and a nonfiction book tends to espouse one point of view. Mm-hmm. This is the strategy everybody needs to follow. 
listen to me. I'm the expert. Do what I do. Yes. What you, you will this succeed book, if you follow my 28-point plan. Yes. Exactly. And so what I really love about fiction is I don't need to take a side. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm able to actually show different characters having very good reasons for the choices they're making and arguing it out. And Amber, of course, is the one who's kind of caught in between these different people who represent different ideas in her life and meeting people who, have, who argue with Dylan or argue on these different positions and trying to understand what makes the most sense for her. And what I like about that is that the readers can really choose which path makes sense for them. So it's not one position that I'm saying everyone should do this. There are lots of different positions. And, you know, a couple can read this book and read about these different positions. And one might like one and one might like the other. And they can talk it out. And they've got the ability to, to have a discussion because now they've got different characters representing different ideas. They've got the vocabulary. And they can say, well, what, which of these positions makes the most sense for us to follow? Yeah, exactly. And there's not necessarily a right path or a wrong path as long as you have an agreed-upon path. Exactly. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I like that. So are there any particular financial goals you would encourage the listeners or the readers to keep in mind as they're going forward on their daily path? So I would say that the number one thing is really the question of financial independence, which we raised earlier. Mm. So financial independence, if you think about it, it's something we all expect for retirees, even though only a small percentage of retirees really have achieved that, have gotten that. We expect, okay, by the time I'm 65, whatever it is, I will be in a position where I can leave work and I won't have that pressure on me anymore. Unfortunately, so few people are positioned that way these days. But really, you know, what I came to realize as I started reading books and I I just inhaled books and podcasts and videos when I was learning about this whole area as I was writing the book. I first started writing the book and then learned the lessons rather than vice versa. I wasn't the financial expert. I like to really dive in and write a book about the things that I need to learn because it makes me learn something so much broader than if I just wanted to learn it to apply to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I came to realize that actually the sooner you hit that point of not needing to work anymore to, to be good yourself. for life, yeah. to sustain yourself, the more options you give yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to continue to work. Many of your listeners absolutely love what they're doing and would do it for free, would pay to be doing it if they, if they had to. You know, they're in their passions. Yeah. But already, once you, once you have that ability to, to not need to depend on, on money, then suddenly, if, you know, as we were talking about before the show, if a family member becomes suddenly needy and needs your help and you, know, you have the ability to say, well, I'm going to put down work for a while and I'm going to transfer to that, or if your own health doesn't allow it, or if you don't love what you're doing and you decide that I want the ability to shape my life as however I want. So that whole concept of saying, how can you make yourself financially independent? And is that a goal? Now, not everybody has that as a huge goal, but it's something to at least look at because I'd never heard the concept. Mm -hmm. And had I known that as a goal, I would have known what to do in those early years of my business when I was making more than I needed to live on. I wouldn't have started thinking, okay, who can I give this away to? I would have started saying, okay, you know what? I'm in a new space in the internet that is changing all the time. I'm really, I'm riding a wave that could crash any day. Mm -hmm. How can I take as much money out of that business and put it into low risk, stable income producing assets? Like the money can work for me. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the business was making a ton. I was reinvesting back in the business. But maybe take some of that out and put it into, say, rental real estate, which would have been, it would have been going up in value over time. The mortgage would have been going down over time. The equity would have been going up. And I would have been having passive income coming in each month. Exactly. And then once that passive income exceeded my cost of living, then if the business crashed, I'd be okay. I didn't have, I would, would be able to go forward without the stress that maybe Google will make an algorithm change tomorrow and my whole business will tank. <laughs> well, which, and that, that happened several times. I had a, a oh, yeah. internet business that, that went pretty good through, I think, I forget if it was Panda or Penguin. One of those shakeups finally just 
took me out. But <laughs> yeah, that that was real, and that happened. Uh, Google yeah. Penguin on April twenty fourth, two thousand twelve, absolutely crushed my business. Yep. And yeah, that, that a, was just a, a life changer right there. So we are fixing to go on break. But what I would like to invite the listeners to do, if you are out there in listener land listening to us now, take a little pen and paper. And during this break, just kind of note down, what is it about money that, that's positive and supportive for you? What have your emotional reactions to some of this discussion been? Because I know money can be a real hot button issue. And your breadcrumbs are those emotional reactions. So pay attention to what kind of popped up for you, whether it was a, a jealousy or a discomfort or a judgment about people who have successful internet businesses or whatever it is. Uh, write some of that down because these are your breadcrumbs to unraveling the money story that's playing out in your life so that you can turn that into the manifestation that you're hoping for. And hang with us. We'll be right back from the break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Hey, beautiful soul. Sophia Renea Morales here. I've been doing Sovereign Self for over a year now, and I would like to hear from you. Tell me what you want to hear in coming shows. Leave a quick voice message at 520-261-6827 and let me know. How has the show supported you? Where should we go next? Or are you perfectly content with where we're going at the moment? That number, 520-261-6827. Thank you so much for your feedback. It's crucial in informing where I take the show next. Thank you, and go out and live soul first. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Sovereign Self with Sophia Renea Morales. We'd love to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or if you'd prefer, send an email to asksophia at transformationspace.co. Now, back to Sovereign Self. Thank you for hanging in with us through the break. This is Sophia Renea Morales, and I am here with the amazing and wonderful Dave Mason, who's written a number of novels that have stories, parables, if you will. Um, so what are some of the biggest challenges that you see people facing regarding money? What, what are some of the things that come up for people? Number one is a whole ugly set of beliefs around money. Oh, like? Like, I'm greedy if I have too much money. Mm. Like money is the root of all evil. Mm -hmm. Like money is this giant responsibility and it's too much pressure. Well, now hang on. Okay. Because you are a Torah scholar. Yes, money, is, money is the root of all evil. Isn't that scriptural somehow? Uh, I believe that that was the quote was the love of money. There's the things people will do for ugly things that people will do in a in the pursuit of money but there is there's no question that um no money is not considered to be an evil it's it's an area that we're 
like we talked about before, it really is a lubricant. It's a yeah. real blessing. It allows it's you to do tool. so much more in the world. Yeah. Exactly. Like you look at the, look at Bill and Melinda Gates, you know, until very recently, they know they're the richest people in the world. And look at all of the world issues that they're trying to solve. Yeah, they're, and, they're you know, addressing literacy and digging wells in Africa, and I forget what all. <laughs> sanitation, yeah. nuclear power, they're trying to get rid of malaria, they're trying to get rid of polio. They're really tackling some biggest issues in the world. And they're doing that because they've got money. You know, so many people want to be in their position to be making real impact, but they don't have the power. Yeah, because if you don't have the money, you're, you're missing the gas that goes in the motor to move it forward. Exactly. And so much of you know, the stress in my life and the stress of, I imagine, so many of our listeners' lives come from not having enough money. You know, so many of the times that we really struggled were because we didn't have the money to do what we needed to do. We, were, we found ourselves short. You know, not having enough can be a tremendous stress. Yeah. And so if you're really consider yourself as somebody who just doesn't deserve anything that's going to be a real block to living the peaceful, present life, the life that can have a positive impact on people, this generous life that you want to be living. Mm, yeah, that's, that's true. So, okay. Now, I know not everybody feels like they're cut out for like this entrepreneurial gig. So if somebody's got a good job, a, a job that they like, that they feel fulfilled in, why do they need to think about concepts like financial independence? Okay, great. So I, I'm glad you raised the concept of entrepreneurial because while I do want to write books about making money in the future, I want to write business books since I have a whole background in business, this is not a book about how to make money. Mm. This is a book about what to do how to intelligently handle the money you make, whether that's $20,000 a year or $2 million a year. It's all about knowing how to handle your money in an intelligent, responsible way and make choices that will help you get to where you want to get to. Mm, well, that so, doesn't sound like a lot of fun. I mean, I, what if I want to buy some Manolo Blancos? <laughs> I haven't the slightest idea what that is. Those are fancy high heels. <laughs> fancy Italian high heels. <laughs> and that's a real struggle that Amber goes through is, is that you know, she's in a social scene where her friends are making a ton of money and especially you know, her girlfriends are tending to marry guys who are very successful and she wants to be also going out with somebody who's very successful and they can have this very abundant lifestyle. And suddenly she's dating the bum who dropped out of college who's you know, fixing up houses for, for a living and who's making a tiny fraction and spending next to nothing to live on because he's set on the long-term vision. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes very important to think about you know, those Manola Blancos or whatever you call them, like what, <laughs> what, you, can buy, what you can buy from them. You know, if, you, if you are a 25-year-old who is you know, in, say, her first job and is looking at those pair of shoes, I don't know what they what they cost exactly but yeah those are four figure shoes generally <laughs> four figure shoes okay so looking at a thousand dollars you got a thousand dollars you've you got a year-end bonus of a thousand dollars and is debating do i get myself these shoes or not and start thinking well what else can i do with that thousand dollars and we look at some of those possibilities of what a person can do with the thousand dollars and how to use those thousand dollars but if you start thinking about the fact that when you're 60, that $1,000, if handled well, could be potentially a half million dollars. Yeah. If you do intelligent things with it and you start thinking about, well, for what this pair of shoes costs, I can make sure that I'm able to retire literally maybe years earlier and in a better, with a better lifestyle and provide for myself and my spouse and my children and my grandchildren by that point. You know, how much enjoyment am I going to get from this pair of shoes now? Yeah. And is it worth deferring some of that enjoyment so that I'll build this more solid foundation so I can live in the type of community where I want to live in, where I can raise my family in the type of environment where I want to raise them in, where I can have a life without financial stress? Mm -hmm. Is it worth putting that off and not just putting it into 
you know, bank account. The bank account these days are returning so little that people feel there's no, there's no reason there's to put no it there. There's no incentive. Yeah, I mean, it, inflation goes up faster than the interest. Exactly. And that was one of my real, my, my biggest money blocks that I, we have a certain test that we'd take. We'd go through and look at our different money blocks and see what was mm. holding us back. And the very last ones I had were all about investments. And I saw that even when I was good about making money, I didn't know what to do with it once I'd made it. Yes. And that was also a stress that blocked me from making it. Mm. And one of the biggest things I learned was how to invest money intelligently. And that totally freed things up. Now suddenly, okay, well, now like kind of the pipes can be, I can open them up, you know, full because now I know where that money's going to go. Whereas before it just fell into a bank account where it was, again, losing money against inflation. And I felt like an idiot. And I felt the more money they were sitting there, the more pressure I felt and the more, the stupider I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, and back to the lady who's looking at the $1,000 pair of shoes. It's very easy to go, do I do this with it or do I do that with it? Whereas there are also intermediate choices where it's like, instead of buying the $1,000 pair of shoes, maybe I find a pair of shoes that's 50 or 60 bucks that I really like and put the rest of it aside. And then I have some gratification now as well as looking out for my future. Exactly. And that's what, you know, a character like Dylan, who's this main character who's on the financial independence path, that's what he doesn't grasp. You know, he's a complete extremist, makes a total game out of this. And that's what allows there to be so much tension between Amber and Dylan in this story, because he is such an extremist. Had he been less of an extremist, it would have been a lot easier for Amber to embrace him. And the story wouldn't have been anywhere near as punchy, anywhere near as fun, or anywhere, <laughs> anywhere near as much, much struggle to it. So you don't have to be the, the total extremist. And you can... you can really find that place that works for you. I mean, this relationship has so much stress in it in the book because it's got somebody who is such an extremist and somebody who wants more, more compromise. But going back to the point we were mentioning earlier, there's not like there's a correct path with money and an incorrect path with money. But once you know it and you get yourself an education, you can really figure out what is the perfect path for me and my family to take. Yeah, exactly. We mentioned some of the ugly money stories earlier that we've we've heard or that we repeat to ourselves because we were brought up with them. Um, How do people begin to kind of pick apart and release some of those things, this whole, well, if I have a bunch of money, I'm selfish kind of ideas. The very first thing I would say is you must find the beliefs that are holding you back and bring them out into the open. You know, recognizing that you have a belief that's holding you back is the first step to saying, okay, I can now do something about this. So we actually developed a money quiz that is just an assessment tool that goes through and gives a bunch of statements and you say, I identify with this or I don't identify with this and to what degree you identify with it. And it helps you understand what are the beliefs that are really holding you back. So for instance, money is the root of all evil. Like do you hear that and say, no, that's total garbage. Okay, that's not a belief that's holding you back. Or do you say, yeah, that's totally true okay, that might be a block that's stopping you from making money because it's vitally important that we don't look at ourselves as being evil. So if you think that money is the root of all evil and I don't want to be evil, therefore I have to make sure that I don't bring money into my life. Mm, Yeah, and that doesn't work in today's society. Not very well, at least. So as I mentioned earlier, I'd take this quiz for years and the one belief I couldn't get rid of until I started working on the cash machine were that investments were hard and too risky. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I, so I knew, it was staring me in the face all the time that I've gotten rid of almost all of my really bad money beliefs, but that so much of the work I needed to do was in the area of investments because that was holding me back because I'd, you know, this quiz we have, I think it goes from a scale from like one to seven. I'd have one, 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 and then get down to like the investment ones and it'd be five and sixes. And it was only once I dove in and did all the research behind the cash machine and then felt comfortable enough to finally start making cash machine style investments six months into this process that I was finally able to say, okay, wow, I don't feel the investments are risky anymore. I don't feel that they're scary anymore. Mm -hmm. I now feel comfortable. So the first thing to do is to pull these beliefs out into the open. 
Yeah, and where you can look at them and line them up and go, okay, you sucker over there, you've been causing me grief. <laughs> exactly. And then, then you can actually do a process of working on them. Um, in fact, my wife has a book called Hold That Thought. Mm. And this book has 22 different techniques to work on different thoughts that you have that you know are holding you back. And to bring them out into the open and to, and to really work on them and reverse them and find ways of tweaking them. She's studied extensively the work of Byron Katie. If people know By oh, Byron Katie. Yes. I love Byron That's, Katie. Yeah. Byron Katie's got some great techniques for this. And then my wife, after practicing the work of Byron Katie for so many years, developed 22, you might call like ninja techniques for working on, working on these things, different methodologies that she likes using with clients. And so she's got this book and it's a free download. Hold that thought. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. So you can take our quiz, find the beliefs that are holding you back and go through this process. Use her tools to actually knock those beliefs out or greatly reduce them so they're no longer holding you back. That's beautiful. It's been a pleasure talking with you today, Dave. We are getting down to the end of our time. If you are interested in connecting with his work and the free gifts that he brought along for the listeners, you can go to SovereignSelf.media and uh, click on find all the links there and get hooked up with Dave and his books and his wife and all of this wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for joining us today on Sovereign Self. And until next time, go out and live soul first. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of our program this week. Sovereign Self can be heard live every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Please join host Sophia Renea Morales again next week, right here 